Good afternoon. We're back with another episode of the Shamu Hoops podcast with Martin Bahar from the University of San Diego. And Martin's been a guest I've been trying to get on for about three and a half years now. So he's been a, been a hard one to, to get, um, but a great basketball mind and one that has, has uh, been around the college ranks and, and all levels really since uh, 2005, 2006. So Martin, how are you doing today? Good, Sean. Thanks for having me on. I'm, it's taking us some time, but we've gotten through a pandemic and gotten together here. We did. And, you know, I thought, you know, the big news was us finally getting together. And then this morning, all of a sudden, we found out Roy Williams is retiring from, from UNC. Um, I know, you you know, I'm a Carolina guy and you have some Carolina ties as well. Uh, what were your, what were your kind of your first thoughts when you, when you saw that news? Well, first, my first thought was, are you okay, Sean? Are you going to, are you going to be able to make it through the week? Um, you know, uh, what a legend in coaching, three national titles, nine final fours, did a remarkable job at both Kansas and UNC. I mean, you talk about a classy individual who had respect from across the country, from coaches, administrators, um, media, he just seemed like a great person. Obviously, uh, I worked with Brad Frederick at Vanderbilt years ago, who's been with him at UNC. So I've always kept track of them, especially as long as Brad has been there. So just an amazing career and a, a, a historical figure in our sport and in coaching in general. Yeah, I mean, you go back, I think we were both in college when he uh, when he came over to, to UNC and, and here we are now. But as you said, three championships later and Final Fours, you know, you name it. Um, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see where UNC goes going forward of keeping it in the Carolina family or going, going elsewhere. Um, you know, what, what would you do if you were, if you were in uh, the 80 shoes? That's a tough one. I mean, they, they take a lot of pride. It seems like going in, staying in the family. Um, so I'm, I'm sure of those, there's a plethora of alums in coaching. I don't know how many guys are in the NBA coaching though, quite frankly, but in college for sure, there's a lot of guys and, you know, Hubert and Brad Frederick are alums on the staff right now. Uh, Steve Robinson's still there too, correct? I mean, they have a tremendous staff. So um, it's going to be interesting which way they go. Um, and there's, I'm certain there's no wrong answer of those selected few who they're eyeballing right now. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll certainly be interesting. But, you know, right now we're also getting ready for the, the final four. Um, you being at San Diego now for – a, a little over a, a year, year and a year and a quarter almost. Um, you know, I know it was rough sledding with COVID this year, which we'll get into. But out of the fourteen games you guys did play, you got Gonzaga, Gonzaga twice, um, and UCLA once, and UCLA. <laughs> uh, so, so three, three out of the fourteen uh, final four teams. Um, well, let's let's start. Well, let's start UCLA. Actually, um, you know, I know. You were at USC beforehand, so you you were, you know, kind of pretty close, or you you knew firsthand a lot of the guys that are that got them Johnny Juzang, Bernard, etc. A lot of those guys are local guys. Um, did, did you think they would be able to do this in such quick, you know, quick manner with Nick Cronin coming on board? Well, there was a point in the middle of last season where Mick called out his team, and since that point in time, the, their program has certainly responded in an amazing way. Um, and then they lost four in a row going into the tournament from the first four to the final four. Their toughness level, their competitive spirit um, seems elite. And what's happened is they lost Chris Smith, a terrific talent. They lost Jalen Hill, another terrific talent. 
um, from their rotation. So their rotation has shortened significantly here in the past couple months, but they're completely in sync right now. They're completely bought in. And so he's going to play eight or nine guys. He's had to play Nawuba a little bit, that center spot when Cody gets in trouble. Um, getting Juzang when he did last year was a huge get because now they have someone who's a legitimate NBA prospect at guard who's making shots and playing with such a high level of confidence. And then the other NBA player on their team, I feel like, is Jaime Jaquez, who is just always on balance. You know, the hardest thing to do is to get kids play under control, off of two feet, pivoting efficiently, uh, getting to secondary moves. And Jaquez is never in a rush. So what, what Mick's done is he's really empowered, I feel like, Tiger Campbell, Jaime Jaquez, Johnny Juzang. Everyone's gotten significantly tougher over the course of the last two years under him. And here we are. They're just trending, trending upward, and their trajectory is to sky high now. Yeah, no, they're, they're definitely playing well. And Johnny Juzang, I mean, he was a guy I got to see in high school, and I think we texted about. And I remember it was actually about two years ago I was watching him uh, in Minneapolis. Uh, the USA Basketball was doing an event. At the time, he was going to go into his senior year. And then all of a sudden, he was reclassifying, going to Kentucky. Uh, but obviously I think that year did him well where he was ready to come in and compete. Whereas if he was coming out of high school, you know, he's probably not doing what he's doing right now. Um, Gonzaga, you guys got to play them twice. You know, they've been number one all year, uh, to your, your guys' credit. I think you're one of only two teams that held Corey Kispert without a three pointer in one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. That's an interesting stat. That's good research. Who's in your research department. That's tremendous. (laughs) One man show, but um, uh-huh. what, you know, how was it just being, you know, most fans haven't got to see them in person this year, but how was it just going against them with, with that talent? And what were your thoughts kind of seeing them up close twice this year? Well, it's funny you say that because a good friend of mine at USC still, Jason Hart and I were talking this morning about that. He's USC's associate head coach. Um, you talk about that three point stat with Corey, which I had no clue. They don't have to punish you by making a lot of threes. You know, in the modern college basketball and NBA, you blow a team out, that usually means you're making, you know, 13, 14, 15 plus threes in a game. They're blowing people out living in the paint. And so what they do is their speed end-to-end in transition is elite, one of the best in college ever. I think their two-point field goal percentage is, what, 69%, one of the best ever? That means they're living in the paint. And they're scoring in transition in the paint. They're throwing the ball down to Timmy in the paint, and he's scoring like crazy. But then also what they do is in the half court, they're one of the best duck-in teams I've ever seen. So Timmy ducks in whether he gets the ball or not, and he takes the defender out of the play, and then they're able to drive and get easy layups. It's really amazing how in sync they are. But I told someone this week, they're at the apex of talent and unselfishness right now. So every coach in America for the rest of their careers can point to this Gonzaga team and tell their locker room, well, hold on a second now, Jalen Suggs sacrificed. He's a top three pick. Hold on a second now, Corey Kispert sacrificed. He's a lottery pick. Drew Timmy's going to be a first rounder, and he sacrificed too. Joliai is going to be drafted for sure. Nemhart's going to be drafted. They all sacrificed. And their ability and Mark Few's ability within his program to get complete buy-in to get complete intensity and focus regularly. Um, and I've only spoken on the offensive end. We talk about the defensive pressure they apply, uh, their, their fitness level, their ability to keep guys in front and to force you out on the wing 
and further out from the basket with that pressure is elite as well. So you're talking about a program that's completely in sync now, and it starts at being at that apex of talent and unselfishness. And it's just, it's a nightmare to play against, but if you're a real basketball junkie, a real basketball coach, a real basketball lover, you love it because it's just beautiful. Yeah, I think, you know, watching them, Gonzaga is not usually a team that, it, you know, they've increased it the past few years in terms of their tempo, but now they're ranking top five and you look at it and one, they're pushing the ball down, but even once they get it, how quick their movements are and how decisive uh, they are, that they're able to get a good shot within eight or nine seconds. And I think against UNC, USC, there was a, a point where they actually had to work the whole shot clock. All of a sudden you get Kispert from NBA range and he makes it. And, you know, to me, that was just watching the ball movement is a lot of fun. Um as well as kind of looking at how, how their roster was constructed and definitely want to touch on that in a larger sense with you in a little bit. But, you know, in the final four, uh, obviously on the other side, there's ba- Baylor, Houston. I think that one's going to be a, a dog fight. Um, I, I was kind of sleeping on Houston for a while. I thought they'd lose in the first round, but, or sorry, second, you know, first weekend, but they're, they're, they're fun to watch. They're going to fight you. Um, how do you see the final four happening this year? Oh, man, I don't know. That Houston-Baylor game is going to be terrific, too. Houston and Baylor both have the athleticism, the toughness, the intensity, and it permeates through their program. So I really can't pick that one, quite frankly. I I don't know. I mean, Baylor looked tremendous last week. Um, Their speed and athleticism, their ability to score and live in the paint, similar to uh, Gonzaga, is really quite quite something to watch, uh, you know, just as a coach from an outsider perspective. So... Um, I, I know everyone thinks it's going to be Gonzaga and Baylor. That'll be a great game. But, I mean, the, what Kelvin's, Kelvin Sampson's done at Houston um, during his tenure there has, has been amazing as well. So uh, I'm not a big prognosticator. I can't I, – I, I don't like to predict. But if it, if it comes down to Baylor and, and Gonzaga, no one's going to complain. But, again, like if UCLA and Houston pull it off, like they have beaten the clear top two teams in college basketball this, this season to get there. So that would be a tremendous game too. So really don't know how it's going to shake out. It's going to be uh it's going to be given it given what basketball fans have gone through not being able to go to games this year, starts and stops. I think it's a weekend everyone's really looking forward to even though there's not going to be a lot of fans in attendance at the arena or at the football stadium, but you know, I think everyone's really looking forward to it because it's been a crazy ride. It's been a frustrating year for everybody on planet Earth with this pandemic. And so the basketball world is really going to be locked in and just, they just can't wait to sit down and watch it and just enjoy hoops, you know, in the, on the largest scale in college sports. Yeah. It's, you know, without having March madness last year, it's been fun to to watch all the games. Um, if we do get Gonzaga Baylor, you know, it'll be probably one of the first times in a while you get the two teams, everybody thought at the beginning of the year, and that game was canceled because of COVID earlier. So it'll be fun. But right now there's kind of, you know, a whole whole other game going on with uh, the NCAA kind of giving really anybody the right to basically repeat the year um, at the same time transfer. Uh, so I kind of want to segment to the transfer portal where it's almost like basketball free agency. I think as of today, there have been over 1,100 people that have entered their name in. Um, before we get to kind of how you guys have done, you know, as a coach, how do you how do you even mon- you know monitor everything that's going on and what has kind of been the process what has the process been like in kind of the last you know 2 3 weeks of how crazy it's been it's uh it's surreal i mean 
you know, the portal, you check it 20, 25 times a day because every time you check it, there's five to 10 new kids, it seems like. So um, you live on the portal, you make you see who's in there, you do the research, you watch the film, and you just start making straight contact with uh, student athletes, uh, their former coaches, and try to see if it's a good fit. Um, it's a different time. Obviously, this is what's on the horizon, immediate transfer eligibility um, and that waiver process happening where they're, it's looking like they're, they're very interested in giving first-time transfers immediate eligibility elsewhere. Then you have the extra year for the COVID year where a lot of kids who've played four, maybe five years at one place or a couple different places, they can use an extra year and they want a different experience. Um, so that's, that's where we're at in college basketball, for better or for worse. Um, your roster is fluid. You have to embrace it. Um, and you have to be very time management efficient uh, when recruiting transfers. You have to find the right kids. You want to make sure you get the right fits for your program. And you also have to understand that if you attack the portal in a way where your staff prioritizes certain kids while other staffs are kind of like putting out a wide net still, you can quickly land some good players and get kids who are good fit for your programs because you show that genuine, immediate, constant appreciation and uh, belief in them. So it, it is a strange time because every day there's just like, whoa, he's in the portal. He's in the portal. That kid, that starter, that all league player, you know, and, and it's just, it's overwhelming almost. And you have to, you have to be great at just getting through a lot of information, a lot of film, understanding who the young men are in terms of their personalities and characters. And then you just got to make sure that the guys you really want, you have to laser focus on right away and, and stick with it because a lot can change. You could get a commitment in 24 to 48 hours. It seems crazy, but that's just what it is now. If, 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 if the stars align and, and your needs intersect the student athletes needs and you have a previous relationship with them, you might be able to get something done quickly. And it, it seems strange, but that's the legitimate world we're in now. Completely fluid every year now. Yeah. And I don't know if you're allowed to, are you allowed to talk about the guys that you, that you've. No, I can't yet. Uh, I think I can smile when you talk about them, but yeah, we've, we've landed some guys who we love already and we're going to get a couple more here, I think pretty soon. So, um, but I don't think I could talk about them yet because technically they haven't signed and uh, we haven't announced it yet, but there has been well, some success early. Yeah, at least on Twitter, there's been some success from players coming down from Power Five that maybe didn't have the seasons they wanted, as well as some other players that have put up big numbers and now, I guess, kind of want to jump up in in competition. Um, I mean, how how difficult is it just in terms of judging? You know, here's a guy that played you know, low, low major ball and he averaged 20 a game versus here's a guy that played power five. He averaged, you know, seven points a game. I, I know you have a pretty good working knowledge of, I mean, you know, the whole industry um, in terms of guys you recruited or guys wherever they're at. Anytime I ask you a name, you know who it is, but it's still got to be hard to kind of, you know, identify how, how could this guy project? Um, so obviously you guys, you said being time efficient and, and having a game plan, but how do you how do you kind of judge that talent um, in terms of who you're who you're talking to? Yeah, it's, it, quite frankly, it's tough, right? Because the kids who've who've been doing great at a lower level, well, you have to make sure, like, what is their mindset? What is their competitive drive? 
you know, are they benefiting from being um, the best player on a losing team? Or are they actually a really good player who just happens to be on a losing team? You know, do they, are they still motivated to compete and get better? You know, those are our conversations a lot. A lot of times when guys are trying to transfer up, you know, do you understand yourself another room to get better on both ends? Are you going to embrace that? Um, can you win without the butt, as we say? Like, are you okay if you go three of 12 one night, but we win? You know, you're still going to be as excited as if um, you score 25 points if you have an off night offensively. Are you still going to compete defensively? So that's what you have to navigate when guys are transferring up because, you know, you want to make sure that the, the young men who join your program who have previous success understand, you know, if you're coming up another level to the WCC, which is a top 10 conference, you know, there's going to be tough nights where Damon Stoudemire schemes against you and, and you're having a rough go at it. And, and Mark Pope has two seven footers in the paint on your drives. And, you know, your two point field goal percentage isn't great that night, but you can still win. So how are you going to address that? And then with the high major guys, you know, there's kids who have another level to them who've been coached hard, but if they think they're going to come down, it's going to be easy. Quite frankly, they will be humbled very quickly. Um, you go from the Big East, Big Ten, ACC to the WCC. Well, we're a top 10 conference, too. You know, Gonzaga, as you know, is the top team in the country. St. Mary's lives in the tournament. BYU lives in the tournament. And then everyone else is very similar after that. So it, it, it's a very delicate navigation process where you have to be very thorough. You have to do a lot of research about the young men. And you have to find out what's true or not in terms of their mindsets, how they approach the game, how they approach school just to make sure it's a, it's a fit because you could take a kid from the high major level who averaged two points and he might be a better fit than a kid who averaged 15 at a lower level, you know? So it, it's delicate, man, because there's going to be a ton of transfers. You have to do a ton of research and talk to a lot of people uh, to get to know who exactly you're bringing into the program, just like you do with high school recruits, you know, and if you have a good network of people who you love and trust in the coaching community, that helps you too, because you get fresh, accurate um information you know filter free yeah and you know one of the things you mentioned was watching film which i know you're doing a lot of but when it comes to you know when you first got to san diego i know you were out on the road all the time in that really month and a half before COVID hit you know watching guys how was that adjustment going from you know you're in the gym all the time you're getting ready for the spring summer live periods and now everything's just based on high school film or maybe some aau and How's that been over the last year for you personally? I couldn't feel more terrible for the class of 2021, the kids in high school, and 22 probably also now. I mean, going into gyms was our livelihood in, in, as a college coach. I mean, it's a part of our normal working routine, working habits, going, meeting people. Uh, obviously, you can't talk to kids uh, when they're older. When they're seniors, you can talk to them in their gyms. But, you know, you go to the high school gym, you smell the popcorn in the air, you sit there and watch, you meet people. and you have to be have a great personality in this coach because you meet so many people and you have to establish long-term relationships regardless if especially now right if if kids transfer you and you recruit them in high school but don't get them you can't be bitter and mad about that because if a kid chooses San Diego State over San Diego and then after a year wants to transfer well you can't you can't spoil that relationship when they decide not to come to you in high school because guess what they could be at your school within a year or two now you know so you know, I really feel bad for the class of 21 because their recruitment has taken a hit. There's a lot of good players who haven't been recruited as hard. And again, as a coach, it's been tough this year because you can only watch so many streams and see a kid. And it's just harder to evaluate when you're not there and you're not in person. 
when they're playing in college, excuse me, when they're playing in college, you know, you have all that film access, you know, the coaches in the league, you know, the other coaches who've seen them. And so you can kind of make a risk assessment a little easier, especially with the college game film being accessible and the knowledge of all these other leagues across the country at the college level. Yeah, no, that, that definitely, definitely makes sense. Um, you know, in terms of, of you, you've been in the coaching ranks for 15, 15 plus years, which I'm sure, you know, is crazy when, when you hear it and you, you know, from the Midwest. Crazy. The, How the old East. am I now? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, right, right now you've been on the West coast for a while, but like me, you're an East coast guy. And um, let me see if I get, get everything. Vanderbilt, Georgetown, Princeton, Fairfield. USC and uh, San Diego. Nice job. Wow. All right. Good memory. Go. Um, but you burned know, a lot of bridges along the way, obviously too. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what has it been like, you know, you know, each, each kind of system you're going to is obviously different, but you know, just from a, a coaching perspective, getting, you know, getting a taste of a lot of different universities, a lot of different systems. What's it, you know, just kind of looking back at all this time, how's it, how's it been for you going through all, you know, this whole process? Well, you know, coming out of Vanderbilt as a manager, um, I worked summer camps growing up, you know, in college in the summer to network. That used to be kind of the move. Uh, I got to know the staff at Georgetown back home in the DMV and, you know, worked his camp, John Thompson, the third's camp for years or a couple years. And then, Going, I got into graduate school. So when I was working in the camps in the summer at Vandy at Georgetown, um, you know, I said, hey, I would love to be a GA here. And, you know, the staff at Georgetown, you know, the consensus was, well, look, just get into school and we'll see what happens. You know, not expecting someone crazy enough to apply to go to grad school at Georgetown, actually get into Georgetown and then want to work for the team while at Georgetown. But I got in. And so they let me work the camp the summer going into that graduate school. And at the end of summer camps, Coach Thompson III um, allowed me to join his staff as a graduate assistant, which, you know, I was just like the happiest day of my life. So I worked for JT3 um, at Georgetown for three years, two as GA, one as video guy, and we were running the Princeton offense. So uh, we went to the Final Four with Jeff Green. We won back-to-back Big East regular seasons. We won a Big East tournament. Um, we were unfortunately got beat by Steph Curry. In the second round of the tournament, we were up 17 in the second half. And then speaking of Carolina, all the Carolina fans were in the crowd singing Sweet Caroline as Davidson was coming back that year. And I'll never I'll never listen to that song now because of that, because everyone in the arena in Raleigh ganged up against us as Steph Curry was going nuts. So, well, well, that was um, after you guys took uh, Carolina down in that Elite Eight game, which still was one of the better. You know, that was a that was one of the amazing great game that was played at such a you know, such a high level. And you look back at the talent on that team and or both teams, really. And it was, I mean, that, that game was, that was, a it was incredible. Game. I mean, Hansborough, who Danny Green. I mean, there was so much talent on the court. We had Jeff Green, obviously Roy Hibbert, Dewan Summers, who all played in the NBA. I mean, Patrick Ewing was in, Patrick Ewing Jr. Was in the NBA for a little from that team. I'll never forget. We were down three and uh, John Wallace runs spin and gets the flare at the top to tie it up, to send the game to overtime, you know, like the roar of, uh, the the crowd in the uh, in East Rutherford was amazing. I mean that was a, that was an incredible game. So, but yeah, so we were Princeton style, and then Sydney, the assistant Sydney Johnson, took the job at Princeton. Coincidentally enough, and I joined him a couple years into his tenure. 
And, um, you know, we were Princeton style, but at Princeton, we had two really good athletic forwards, Ian Hummer from DC, Kareem Maddox from Oak Park in California. Yep. Uh, Ian Hummer's from Gonzaga. Exactly. And so we actually played a different style of Princeton. We actually ran some Princeton stuff, but we ran three around two, around two forwards. And those guys dominated the inside during those couple of years together in the Ivy League. And Dan Mavradis and Doug Davis were tremendous guards. And, and then Sydney took the job at Fairfield, and I joined him there. So I was at Fairfield for four years. We ran some Princeton for a little, but, you know, we had some good talent there as well. You know, what brought me out to L.A. was my wife getting a great interior design job in Los Angeles, if you remember. And so I pretty much um, harassed Andy Enfield for his director of scouting job. It uh, made a lot of sense, you know, and Andy really wanted an experienced coach in his director of scouting role. The job had opened. Um, I got to him early enough where um, I think he had a good level of interest. Um, John Thompson III and Sydney obviously helped me in terms of connecting with Andy. And then obviously the time at USC was a, a way different basketball style. Uh, much more transition, um, obviously great athleticism and shooting, which were staples of Andy's teams till to this day, as we saw this year. Um, ball screen offense. So seeing the game in a different way besides Princeton, it wasn't all point low post play one, two, two. It was a lot of ball screen, read and react. And we had one of the best point guards, probably the best point guard I've coached in Jordan McLaughlin, who's now grinded his way to valuable minutes for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And, um, you know, so playing in Andy's fast up court tempo, coaching guys like Jordan McLaughlin, Shemezi Metu, uh, who's with the Kings now, um, Onyeko Kongu, I got him for half of a year. He's with the Hawks now. You know, we had a, a quite a run. It was, it was really a, a remarkable time. And I left in the middle of last season uh, to come down here to San Diego and help Sam Scholl, you know, get this program back to, uh, you know, postseason play. They went to the NIT in his first year. And now we're, you know, we're attacking the transfer market now to get, get right back to where we need to be. So it's been quite a journey. I, I never thought I would live in California, quite frankly. Yeah, you know, I know you probably didn't either. I mean, like, I... What brought you out to California? Let me take over this conversation. Now. How did you end up? How did you end up out here? Uh, well, I was in Chicago and came out uh, to USC for grad school and thought I'd be That's right, right back to Chicago or, or back to the East Coast after two years. And you know, here we are, six six years later. Um, well, yeah, so. it's again like you and I just both. You came out here for graduate school. That's right. I remember you telling me that when we connected because you and I met years ago at an well, NY2LA event. You remembered uh, where we first met. I was going to test your memory on that one. NY2LA event in Milwaukee, <laughs> outside of Milwaukee. What is it, what's it called again, the town it's in? Uh, Mequon? Mequon. Yeah. Met you out there. You were writing for Inside Carolina. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing. We reconnected in LA, the city of angels. Yeah, we were, I mean, that was, uh, you know, living in Chicago, that was a great, uh, you know, the NY2LA events, you know, in April, there was a swish and dish, which college coaches couldn't go to, but that was really kind of kicking off the AAU season, and then yeah, the summer jam, um, and yeah, I think we were watching, uh, you know, God knows what, what team or what, what game, but I think it was late in the evening, a little bit later on in the in the live period, so mo- most of the coaches were, were gone from from there, and yeah, you were at Fairfield at the time, and then I think we ended up in L.A. around the same time because I was at Adidas Nations, and I think I saw that you had come over to USC, and we kind of reconnected on on that one. Um, yeah, a small world, man. Unbelievable. 
but I, I know, you know, you got some transfer portal work to do, so I'll let you go. But before I do, I always love mm-hmm. kind of getting some recruiting stories. Um, so not to put you on the spot, but is there any, you know, kind of going back in your memory, any of this unique recruiting stories slash, you know, maybe who's kind of the, the top recruit that you've, you've been in the mix for or kind of enjoyed going after? Somebody oh, that wow. comes to comes to the top of your mind. Yeah, sure. Oh my goodness. Well, I vividly remember um, there's a young man from Mali who I was recruiting, and this is when I was at Fairfield. And so I bought the flag of Mali online, <laughs> and I and I met him at the airport and was holding it, jumping up and down. We unfortunately didn't get the kid though, so um, that didn't really work out for me on that, on that fateful night. You know, the the top player I I recruited was. And it wasn't – it's not a fascinating story. You know, Tyler Nelson at Fairfield was a kid who was playing terrific basketball for BABC under Leo Papil. Um, you know, skinny white kid, could really make shots, had a fluid handle, always made his free throws, won a state championship, uh, but was under-recruited. I mean, he was in Massachusetts, you know, about 90 minutes to two hours from Fairfield. Um, his dad was an NBA scout, really hit it off, and – you know, it's just crazy. The best kid in, you know, the top scorer in Fairfield history, 2,200 points later, his recruitment wasn't like out of control. You know, it was just something where you developed a good relationship. The talent was obvious and we needed a little luck. You know, that's just what it is. And, and a lot of the recruiting, I, I tell you what, man, a lot of times it's luck. You don't know who's really going to develop. You don't know whose confidence is going to skyrocket. You don't know who's going to be the toughest cat. You just don't. And a lot of times, coaches make it about them and make it about their eval and think there's something special. And quite frankly, a lot of it's luck. You know, you do good character evaluations, good work ethic evaluations, anything is possible, regardless of the kid's talent level, the moment he steps foot on campus. And I firmly believe that. So uh, my my stories aren't that exciting, but to, to me, it's, it's establishing great relationships and just being yourself, being authentic at all times authenticity is a lost art now. You know, I think we're society's more superficial than ever. Uh, insecurity is higher than ever in all of us, you know, let's see who's real. Let's see who can connect with people. And then if the stars align, like great things can come from that. Yeah. Well, appreciate, appreciate you sharing that. And I'm sure we could go on for hours and hours just chatting, chatting hoops, but uh, it was well worth the, the three and a half years to, to get you on. And hopefully we don't go another, another three and a half, but appreciate you coming on and definitely look forward to seeing what you guys are able to do on the transfer portal. And then hopefully see you guys uh, in, in person uh, next season. So thanks for, thanks for coming on. No, I definitely want to come on again. And thanks for having me. This was really fun. Perfect. Well, that, that wraps up another edition of the Shamo hoops pod. And as, as we talked about today, we got the final four going on and then, then into the off season. So shout out to Martin Bahar for, for coming on. Thanks again.